All right. Now, Andrew Plough, who's speaking tonight on the ground floor, son of Luis Plough, who's going to be coming to do a, a major evangelistic crusade in Grand Rapids. But I wanted to thank everybody who has participated in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Thank you so much. And we want to hear your stories. You know, I was I was talking with somebody in between service and, and uh, they said, you know, I did a fast and it actually saved my life, according to the doctor. And I, I was like, whoa. All right. But uh, if you've got a story, we'd like to hear your story. ResLife.org, your story. Then uh, I also wanted to mention Growth Track next month, right over here uh, in the chapel. Now, there's a there's a a Growth Track during the 1130 service or Wednesday night right there at 630. And uh, either one of them, you can sign up for them on uh, online at reslife.org. Now, as you know, we are in a series of messages entitled Solomon Says. And here's basically the, how we got into this series is Solomon is uh, offering some sacrifices to the Lord. And the Bible says that he brings a thousand burnt offerings, just like over the top. And that night, as he's sleeping, God appears to him in a dream and says, Solomon, ask me for anything. And Solomon says to the Lord, he says, uh, I'm young, I'm inexperienced. He says, I'm ruling this nation and God, I need wisdom. And the Bible says God was so pleased with his answer. He said, I'm going to give you wisdom and you are going to be, there's going to be no one as wise as you before you and no one as wise as you after you. So then Solomon made this observation. He said, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In other words, what you and I do determines if we get wisdom or not. It's just not something that's just going to fall on you like ripe cherries off from a tree. It says about Solomon that he surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. The riches were kind of a result of the wisdom. He became the greatest achiever of his generation, the richest man that ever lived and the wisest man that ever lived except for Jesus. So he says this in Proverbs 22. Have I not written you 30 sayings for you, sayings of counsel and knowledge to teach you to be honest, to speak the truth? And here's what he's saying. He says, I've got 30 things that I would like to help you with. Uh, maybe you've done this as a parent. You sat down with your spouse and you say, here's some things we want our kids to understand. Here's some things we want to make sure our kids learn as they're growing up. Well, basically, Solomon says this. He said, I've got 30 things that are going to help you be successful in life. They're going to help you with your attitudes. They're going to help you with your relationship. They're going to help you with your children. They're going to help you with your gift. They're going to, gifts. They're going to help you with your money. They're going to help you in 30 different ways. And if you'll do these, this will bring success to your life and you'll live a life that pleases God. How many would be interested if Solomon said, I want to tell you 30 things? Well, that's basically what he does right here. He says, I've got 30 things for you. And we're going through those 30 things. He says, I've written to you 30 sayings for you, sayings of counsel, knowledge. And we are up to saying number four, which is found in Proverbs 22, verse 29. It says, do you see a man who excels in his work? He'll not he, he will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Now, this one actually deals 
with our work. About half of people, they tell us in America, do not enjoy the work that they do. But what we should be focusing on is the gift that God has given us and developing that gift. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go and in keeping with his individual gift or bent. In keeping with his individual gift or bent. Now, to parents, it's saying you may have three, four, five, six kids. Every one of them is going to be different. Every one of them is going to have a different gift or bent. And as a parent, you love them all the same, but you treat them different because their gift or their bent is different. And what you're supposed to do as a parent is discern that gift and then help them move and develop in that direction and grow and develop their gift. But as adults, it's telling us this. Every one of us has got a gift. In fact, the Bible says that a man's gift will make room for him and bring him before great men. So what we need to do, even as adults, if, if no one helped you growing up, you need to learn, discover, really, what is that gift? You will seldom achieve great success in an area that you're not gifted in. And, and realize that gift starts small. It's a bent. It's an inclination. But you need to grow it. You need to develop it, nurture it, feed it, guard it, protect it, and let it grow. And it's designed by God to carry you through life. It's designed by God to make you be a blessing in life. It's designed by God, the Bible says, to bring you into great places. Now, I know in America, people tell their kids, you can do anything you want. It's not true. It is simply not true. Now, I've told you this before, but I used to be six foot two. I shrunk an inch. Happens when you get older. But in all my, I, I played basketball for 40 years. Not one time did I ever touch the rim. I tried. Trust me, I tried. But I, I'm just not gifted athletically in that way. Now, pa Pastor Ken, he's on a cruise right now down in the Caribbean. But uh, Pastor Ken, I don't know if you, he can sing bass and soprano. How can you do that? They asked me to quit the volunteer choir. <laughs> Serious. Now, if, if, if I said, well, I'm going to be a famous uh, country singer. Not going to happen. It does not matter how much I work at it, how much I try, how many voice lessons I take. It is not going to happen. You say, why? Because I'm not gifted in that way. And, and sometimes we, we try to do things we're not gifted in, but there really is a natural inclination towards what you're gifted in. Now, life rewards you based on the problems that you solve in life. Uh, an example of this is, is David. Now, David goes to the battlefield in the Valley of Elah, and there's a giant there by the name of Goliath. He's over 10 foot tall. He weighs someplace between 800 and 1,200 pounds. This is a big guy. And he comes out and says, Somebody to send someone to fight with me. And everybody is filled with fear. So the king says, whoever will kill this guy, I will make him rich. He will never have to pay a dime income tax in his life. And his family is going to be tax free. And he gets to marry my daughter and she's a babe. <laughs> now, 
All that for one day of work. You say, why? Because it was going to take somebody with a skill that nobody else had to kill that guy. That's why. See, in, in, in real, let me say it like this. I, I, Jeannie and I bicycle. We've got a, we've got a tandem and, and uh, I just love bicycling. When my bike needs work, it's like 50 bucks an hour. Okay. If I need legal advice, it's like $400 an hour. And I praise God I don't need it. But if I needed brain surgery, I think it's $15,000 an hour. You say, what's the difference? They solve different problems. They solve different problems. And the harder the problem is to solve, the better the pay. That's why David got really rich in one day. You say, well, I'm not happy with where I'm at. Well, then develop the gift that you've got or solve different problems. God's given everyone a gift, but it needs to be discovered. It needs to be nurtured. It needs to be grown and sharpened and improved. We need to make our life pursuit that we improve that gift that God has given us. I, I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, if it falls to your lot to be a, a street sweeper, sweeps street, streets. This is really one of those, a street sweeper, sweeps streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music, sweeps streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth We'll have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. You know, the Bible says that your, room, your gift, it makes room for you. Sometimes it's something that's very natural. Other you really recognize it. Other times it's more you have to discover what that thing is. Now, in, in Deuteronomy, God tells the children of Israel, he says, I'm going to bring you into a good land. It's got brooks of water, fountains and springs, hills and valleys. He said there's vines, there's barley, there's fig tree, there's pomegranates, there's olive oil, there's honey. He says you're going to eat bread without scarcity. He says you'll lack no good thing. You'll live, in, you'll live in beautiful houses and your herds and your flocks will multiply. Your silver and gold will multiply. All that you have will multiply. And then you say in your heart, my power. In the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. Now listen, verse 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power, the giftedness, the ability, the favor, the ideas, the connections, the intelligence to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which is for your fathers as it is this day. You know, we can look at what we do and think, man, that's just me. But God said, no, you remember I'm the one that gives you that ability, that gives you that giftedness, that put that seed down on the inside of you. I'm the one who gives you favor, gives you ideas, gives you intelligence. In Exodus 31, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have called by name Belzeel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I've filled him, listen, with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and all manner of workmanship to design artistic work to work in gold, silver, bronze, and cutting jewels for settings and carvings of wood and to make all manner of workmanship. Now, this is the first time in the Bible when anyone is filled with the Spirit of God. And God said he did it for him to work. To work. Think about that. Somebody said, well, I thought God would just fill somebody to do something spiritual. No, God gave him 
supernatural ability filled him with his spirit in order to work. You see, some people have the idea that work is a bad thing. In fact, I've heard people say work's part of the curse. No, it's not. God gave Adam a job before sin. He didn't get a job after sin. Listen, you, you are going to work in heaven. Jesus talks about rewards in heaven and about the work that we're going to do in heaven. Really, work helps brings dignity into your life. So men, listen, before sin, God gave him a job and he gave him a job before he gave him a wife. And you know why, right? Because she's a female and there's a fee for having her. If you don't have a job, you can't afford her. It's just that simple. All right. Uh, Jeannie and I met in, in Bible college in, in uh, Dallas, Texas. Now, there was the, I was actually at Calvin College. I got saved. I thought I was going to be a history teacher. But, but I was just so hungry for God. Uh, I said, I'm just going to go to Bible college for a semester. I just got to learn. I, I, I just, I, I'm hungry for God. Now, the one thing I knew was I would never be a pastor or a missionary. I knew that. But I was hungry for God and I wanted to learn. And I wanted to be able to, to help others. And the, the, my, my greatest fear was public speaking. How many you know that's, 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 that's like, for most people, that's number one or number two? For some people, it's number one. They're more afraid of speaking than dying. So I, I was just petrified to be in front of people. So Jeannie and I get married after my, my first year. And Jeannie had a job cleaning houses in North Dallas. So we went to North Dallas and she would clean the house and I would study and prepare stuff. And, and uh, the couple that owned this house, they had a son who was in, I'm pretty sure it was seventh grade at the time. So he's like 12. I'm, I'm 22. Right. And she said, would you please do a little Bible study with my son, you know, while you're here? And uh, I, you know, oh, I really can't do that. And, then, and then she says, you know, it's just my son. Would you please do it? Well, I figured I'm 22. He's 12. I can handle this. So we did a Bible study. I just kind of sat down and taught him the Bible. And, and it, 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 I thought, you know, okay. And, and the next week, his friend, he brought his friend, the neighbor. So I had two seventh graders. And by the way, that was 100% church growth in one week. I said, <laughs> Wow, you, know, you can't do better than that, all right? So then I got through two. And then the next week, the neighbor's mother was there because she wanted to make sure I wasn't giving him any heresy. And uh, we did that for, for several months. And it was just, you know, the two, the two kids. And um, there was a couple times we were at a, a nursing home and uh, they asked somebody to speak. And I got up for like five minutes and I just shook. In fact, the first time that I got in behind a podium, I actually shook it so bad, I broke it. It's true. I broke it. So we, we graduate from uh, Bible school, and, and uh, we heard about some missionaries in Mexico, and they needed help, and we thought, well, we'll go and we'll help. I'll clean. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever needs to be done. I'll cut the grass. I'll carry a briefcase. I'll just do whatever. See? So we get to Mexico and we start helping this couple. We get enrolled in Bible school, in uh, language school. And about six weeks, we've been there about six weeks. And this couple, something someone did offended them. 
And uh, I was at his house in the afternoon, and he said, that's it. He said, we're leaving. We are packing, and we are going to leave. I said, well, you can't leave, you know, the ministry. And, 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 and he said, well, I, I'm leaving. And I said, well, what are you going to do with the ministry? And, I, and he said, what he said? He said, you can have it or the devil can have it. I don't care. We're leaving. And he threw me the keys. That's how I got in ministry. <laughs> I did not want it. I wasn't looking for it. So <clears throat> uh, uh, three times a week we had services. We just had university students. So I started speaking. And fortunately, it was through a translator. And you might think that's hard, but it's actually very easy. Because you say something, and then they say it. And if you don't pay attention to what they're saying, you get to figure out what you're going to say next. So, you know, I'm, I'm speaking through a translator for like seven months. And uh, I get to the service one night, and my translator doesn't show up. And then somebody, as the service is starting, says uh, he was in an accident. He was on his motorcycle, and he got hit by a bus. And he's in a coma, and he's, they're putting him in a full body cast. And he isn't going to be here. He's not, not just going to be here this week. He's not going to be here for months. And so I preached my first sermon in, in Spanish. And, uh, you know, it was, it, God in heaven laughs when people learn new languages. Yeah. And I made all kinds of mistakes, I'm sure. But the one that stuck out the first week was when it came time for the invitation, I was talking about sin, and a sin in Spanish is a pecado, and a fish is a pescado. So you know what happened. I said, if you'll come to Jesus, he'll wash all your fish away. <laughs> the next week, I was teaching on the blood of Jesus and trying to say Jesus was a special man, un hombre especial. But I said un hombre espacial, which is an astronaut. And for my whole sermon, I'm calling Jesus an astronaut. Okay. And from there, things went like downhill. I mean, so, so, so w w what I'm saying, it, it wasn't what I planned. It wasn't what I planned. But that gift was there. It needed to grow. It needed to be developed. Five years later, I'm teaching in a Bible school. I've got 14 classes every week. Plus, I preach seven or eight times outside of there. I'm preaching over 20 times a week and growing and developing the gift that God put on the inside of me. Years ago, we had a guest speaker here by the name of Lester Summerall from South Bend, Indiana. Jeannie and I picked him up at the airport and uh, we're driving back and he's just talking to us, you know. And he, he, he became one of my mentors and this is what he said. He said, if you graduate today and you learn nothing tomorrow, he said, you're behind. He says, you need to keep on nurturing and growing your gift. You need you, you, that skill, that gift that God's given you. You never become an expert. When you become an expert, you stop growing. You always stay a student and you always keep learning, keep on growing. Millionaire Peter Daniels said the average American spends less than $10 a year to improve their skill, their call, or their business. Less than $10 a year on their brain to learn, to grow. Now, if that's true, that is just extremely, an extremely sad statistic. But we want to do is we want to just keep growing. In Exodus 36, every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out the work. Notice, who gives skill and ability? 
God gives skill and ability. And so often we just think it's us. But God anoints us to do the work, the craft, the skill that he has called us into. In Ecclesiastes 10.10, it says, if the ax is dull and one doesn't sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. Wisdom brings success. In other words, as you grow and you develop that gift, it will cause more and more success. Martin Luther in the, the Protestant Reformation, he made this statement and, and it, it literally changed the way people looked at work. They talk about the Protestant work ethic. Here's where he said, he said, the milkmaid and the pastor equally serve the same God. So you see, sometimes we think, well, if, if it's ministry, if you're preaching or you're praying, it's something special, it's something different. He said, no, the milkmaid and the pastor, they equally are serving God. You see, the kingdom of God, we think the kingdom of God is like, I'm going to get there someday. I'm going. But Jesus said, pray your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is not when you die and go to heaven. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, it's here. And it's when you do what you do, whatever that thing may be, but you do it not to men, but unto the Lord. It says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. You may say, I work for General Motors. Well, the Bible says you work for God. You work for God. You're on that assembly line. You're doing it not for man, but you're to do it for God in your heart. And when you're doing it for God and not for man, the kingdom comes. The kingdom comes. So whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Part five, Proverbs 23, verse one. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what's before you and put a knife to your throat if you're a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies for they're deceptive food. Now, this one really talks about self-control. Now, this can be in, in any issue. It can, it can be about food, about money, about sex, about coffee. Tomorrow, I get my first latte in 21 days. All right. something, something that's not inherently bad can damage us. You know, the, 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 the devil is patient. And Jesus said he comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. Now, how many of you know food is good, but gluttony is wrong? In this culture, you need money to live. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Sex inside marriage was designed by God, and it's a blessing. Outside of marriage, it's not a blessing. It's sinful. So there's good things, but those good things have to be in the right confines. Remember, sin will always take you farther than you thought you'd ever go. It'll always keep you longer than you ever thought you'd stay. It'll always cost you more than you ever thought you'd have to pay. With every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. There's the right way, but you just get off to the right, you get off to the left. It's in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, we think that we have temptations nobody else has. Because you've got VIP temptations, but you don't. Right? You think nobody's ever been tempted like me. Nobody's ever felt what I felt. Nobody's ever had the pull 
that I've got towards this thing. But the truth is, within 10 miles of here, there's 50,000 people that have thought and felt everything that you've thought and felt. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape. People say the devil made me do it. I couldn't help it. The devil made me do it. I just had to. But it's not true. In Mark's gospel, chapter six, Jesus comes to the area of the Gadarenes. And the Bible says there's a man there who has a legion of demons, 6,000. And that man saw Jesus and every demon in him wanted to run the other way. But the Bible says he ran, he fell at Jesus' feet, and he worshiped Jesus. He somehow knew, if I can get to Jesus, I can be set free. And that's exactly what happened. All those demons couldn't make you do something, and the devil can't make you do anything. It is impossible. You have to surrender. So 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, but I discipline my body, I bring it into subjection. At least when I preach to others, I myself could become disqualified. Now notice he says, I, that's the real you that lives on the inside, I bring my body into subjection. I bring it, he said, into subjection. Your body is not you. Your body is it. Your body is the house that the real you lives in. And if you will let your body, your body will run your life. And if you'll let your body, your body will ruin your life. So he says, the real me on the inside, I take authority over that body and I tell that body no. Titus chapter two, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and it teaches us to say no. See, some people say, well, grace just says you can do anything. No, the Bible says grace teaches you to say no to ungodly and worldly desires and to live an upright, godly life in this present wicked world. So really, when you fast, your your, your, your spirit is telling your body no. I have been 21 days without chocolate. Chocolate is not bad. Chocolate is one of the ways we know God loves us. He gave us milk chocolate, white chocolate, dark chocolate. You know God loves us. All right. But here's what happens when you say no to your, when your spirit says no to your body. Your, your, your spirit rises up and takes a place of authority in your life. Paul said, I do that. He said, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. Somebody said, well, you know, I'm fasting. It doesn't seem like I'm getting closer to God. Well, you are. But the truth is this. The main thing that fasting does is it allows your spirit to take dominion over your body. And your spirit needs to be able to do that. Now, when facing temptation, decisions need to be made ahead of time. David said in Psalms 119, your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, we decide beforehand. We've got God's word on a situation and we decide beforehand, not when the temptation comes, but we decide beforehand, this is what's going to happen. So Romans 13, verse 14 says, make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. Now, what that means is this. As much as I love chocolate, I did not keep some in the car just in case I had a chocolate attack. You ever had a chocolate attack? It's like, I gotta have some, okay? I didn't keep some nearby and say, well, just in case I have a chocolate attack, I'll keep some 
dark chocolate because that's the best for me. Right? No, I didn't do that. All right. You don't put it there. All right. If somebody has a has a, an issue with alcohol, what this is saying is this. It says, don't keep a bottle in the drawer just in case you have an overwhelming desire. Because if you provide for the flesh, the flesh will make sure that you use it. It says, don't don't uh, uh, make any provision. If you got an issue with explicit material, don't keep some around just in case. Because the flesh will make sure. Make no provision for the flesh. In uh, Luke 4, Jesus is in the desert and he's being tempted by the devil. And the devil comes and says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. That was his first temptation. And Jesus said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil came back and Jesus said again, it is written. And then the devil came back and Jesus said, it is written. And then it says, and Jesus said, you know, get behind me, devil. And the Bible, listen, it says he left him for a more opportune time. For a more opportune time. I remember as a young Christian, I thought, I'm just going to get so spiritual, I'll never be tempted again. Later, I got a little wiser and somebody came up to me and asked in a prayer line and said, hey, I want you to pray that I will not be tempted. And I said, okay, I'm going to pray you die. <laughs> because as long as you live in a physical body, there's going to be temptation. Romans 7, 23 says the law of sin abides in your members or your physical body. But when we get full of the word of God and we make that decision beforehand, then we're, we're prepared. 2 Timothy 2, 26 that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Now, when you're doing his will, it's because your will has become passive. See, people have the idea, well, I can just sin and then just say I'm sorry and everything will be just like it was before. But listen, the Bible says, first of all, that your heart becomes hardened. Romans says your foolish heart becomes hardened hardened. In other words, as you give in to sin, your heart gets to the point where it really does not see sin as being bad anymore. It's just like, well, it's like, God, I'm sorry. And God will say, no, you're not sorry. You're just sorry. I don't like your sin because you like your sin. You will not see sin as being bad because your heart becomes hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. But beyond that, something happens on the inside of you in your will. Your will becomes weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. As David repents in Psalms 51 after he had adultery with Bathsheba, of course, he says, purge me with hyssop. That's what blood is applied with. He says, then I'll be clean. He said, create in me a clean heart. Because he realized that what sin does is it causes your heart to become hard and it becomes darkened and you don't know right from wrong any longer. So he said, create in me again that clean heart. So I see sin as being wrong and being evil and being something against God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Give me the strength again on the inside, because when a person gives themselves over to sin again and again and again, their will becomes passive. And what you need is you need your will to be strong. 
Like it says in Titus, the grace of God that brings salvation is appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no. In fact, everybody shout no. no. See, the Bible teach, says that God's grace teaches you to say no to ungodly and worldly desires. But yet so often someone will give themselves to sin again and again and again. And there comes a point where there is nothing left in them that resists at all. They've given themselves. They've been taken captive by Satan to do his will. So David prays and says, renew a steadfast, a strong spirit within me. Strengthen my will again so that I will say no when temptation comes. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. And let me just pray for you. And Father, I thank you for each person that's here, for their good hearts that the word of God has been sown in. And Father, I pray today for every one of us that you create in us a clean heart and you renew a steadfast, strong spirit within each person. Holy Spirit, come and minister to your people, I pray in Jesus name. Now, as every head's bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here today and you're not right with God, today is your day to surrender to Jesus. The Bible says to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. It is not enough that you know about him. You need to receive him as your Lord, as your Savior. It is the only way to be right with God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except by me. Your efforts won't make you right, but if you'll receive him and surrender your life to him, today you're going to be forgiven, you're going to be right with God. You're going to become a part of God's kingdom. And he's going to begin to lead you into that abundant life that Jesus has for you. So if you're away from God, not right with God, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, would you please lift your hand? We're going to pray together. And God's going to meet you right here today. And when we say amen, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. As you lift your hand, the first thing that you're saying to God is you're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One, as you lift that hand, you're saying today, I'm going to give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to hold nothing back. Two, get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying today, I'm going to receive him. He is going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. My past is going to be gone. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of the family of God, the kingdom of God on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Say, pray with me. Pray with me. I'm not right, but I want to get right. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. Are there others? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Someone else, include me, Pastor. Lift that hand high. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Would everyone please stand? But nobody moving around. Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. Would you move to the aisle that's nearest you, wherever that is? Bring your coat or whatever you brought. Bring the person that you came with, but make your way right down here. We're going to pray and God is going to meet us right here. And when we say amen in just a moment, your past, it's going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. This is your day. From the balcony, if you will make your way down, we're going to wait for you. When we pray, God is going to meet you right here. 
This is literally the most important decision you can ever make in your entire life. Receiving Him. Receiving all that He has for you. Forgiveness, a new life. Jesus said an abundant life. Jesus said, you confess me before men, yeah. I'm going to confess again, you. Yes, that's going to happen that. today. Yeah, right. That's going to happen. All right, Romans chapter 10. I want you to look at me. All right, still some more coming down from the balcony, but let me get started. Romans 10, verse 13. It says, whosoever, that means you and you and you and you and you and you. See, sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, well, I've done this, I've done that. This isn't going to work for me, but this is going to work for you. Every one of you will call on the name of the Lord. We're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. Right? And when we say amen, in about two minutes, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. And literally, God's going to come on the inside of you and he's going to make you new. You're going to begin to live that abundant life that he has for you. All right. Would everyone please take one hand, place it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven and let's pray together. Say, oh, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm not going to live for myself any longer. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. I thank you that you have heard my prayer, that I'm forgiven, that my past is gone, that I am your child, a part of your kingdom today and forever in Jesus' name. Amen.